everybody, and welcome to the Medevac Podcast. My name is Christian Myers, and I'm your host for today, joined by my co-host, David Reed. What's up, guys? Hello, David. Thank you guys for joining us today. Before we hop right into it, I want to let you know, again, we don't do advertisements because we hate advertisements, and the only people we allow to advertise are uh, Black Rifle Coffee because they are our producers. So thank you very much, Black Rifle Coffee. Other than that, the price for listening to the podcast, you have to pay it. If you get something out of today, please uh, share it with a friend or family member on social media, leave a comment, interact with the video or the content that you're listening to somehow to get it out to more people. Ask questions. Yes. Hit the like button. Dave, Dave our of- producer isn't here anymore, so you have to ask Matt Hoffman. Ah, uh, Matt. Ask Matt We questions. have Matt in the background today. Hey, Matt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and a very fantastic guest that we can't forget about here. Yes. Our guest today, Daniel Carlton, spent a little over 15 years in the Army as a Green Beret, and uh, he's been injured a few times, and we're going to talk about that today. So, Dan, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. A Green Beret. So, we got a couple berets at this table. I was just a tan beret, so that's boring, right? (laughs) I just wore a silly blue I don't want to jump ahead of it, but uh, did you go to Ranger School as well? I did. I did. Okay. As of W1. Ooh. Really? I did. Okay, really? we're going to pump the brakes real quick. <laughs> and say, so at what year in your life were you like, I'm joining the military? Back in 1999. So mm. about to wrap up high school, uh, start talking to a recruiter, wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, you know, yeah. so uh, headed to the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> we started talking, he didn't show up. And of course... The army recruiters next door, he kind of pokes oh, yeah. his head out. He's like, hey, man, you want to see something cool? No way. <laughs> of course. Injured gazelle. Leave it, leave it to the army recruiter to poach the Marine recruit. <laughs> there, and yeah, and then next thing you know, I was off to basic training. So that, that summer of 1999. So, so that quick. Yeah, that was. So you made that decision and just were gone. You're ready. I, I knew I wanted to go serve at least a four-year contract, you mm-hmm. know, and just kind of uh, do my service, get some experience, kind of do some traveling. Okay. Um, my grandpa was in the Army, World War II, paratrooper, POW. I had a great uncle, kind of long range reconnaissance guy, uh, one of my uncles. Oh, that's uh, cool. And that's kind of the military history of my family. So it's not too deep, uh, you know, but I, I wanted to be a part of that and, and at least do a couple of years and, and get out and kind of grow up a little bit. So, yeah. And then I ended up liking it and I stayed for, uh, <laughs> for a and, few, few year, extra years. And you. Ended, yeah, ended up liking it. First of all, let me just paint the scene for our audience here. 1999, 9-11 happened in 2001. <laughs> so this happened, happened at the height of your career, 2001. 9-11 happens, right, probably pretty close to after you finished training, right? So what, what was the situation there? Like, how did that happen? Well, when 9-11 happened, I remember I was in Germany. I was in the uh, bomb holder Germany, and we were heading up for kind of last formation of the day. And we're sitting in one of my buddy's rooms, turn on TV and, you know, we see what's happening. We're like, man, what's going on here? And then we saw the second one and one of the guys like, we got to tell first aren't, yeah. you know what I mean? So we're, and then from there it just changed. You know, we were guarding civilian housing, you know, in the community, you know, where, where U.S. troops lived and stuff like that. So nobody knew kind of what, mm. what to expect. We just knew there was an attack and us being kind of, you know, in Europe. Closer to know, the, yeah. Things were on some serious high alert. So, um, I mean, it was just so different going from like kind of that garrison environment to like things have changed overnight. Yeah, yeah so. completely unsure too in a somewhat civilian population or it is a civilian population. You're not in like an active combat zone. Yeah, and, and I remember seeing, I went to Kosovo as soon as I got in the army with, with uh, the unit I was in, the 4th Battalion, 27th Field Artillery Regiment. And in Kosovo, we'd see pictures of Osama bin Laden, like say, hey, this guy's wanted. And mm. I remember like, man, who's this guy? Yeah. And then- Fast forward like a year and a half later, the household name, oh, you know, so it's just like, I'm like, man, that was the guy that everyone's kind of looking for. Just, uh, yeah, just overnight things changed. So, yeah. And, and how did they change as far as logistically and mission wise? Like from the initial conversation from your first sergeant to, I mean, give me a timeline. What, what changed so rapidly? I think it was just unknown. Like, mm. people are still trying to figure it out. Like, man, what, is, what exactly is happening? We just know we're under attack and, yeah. and waiting for follow-on attacks and things like that. And at this time, I was a truck driver. I enlisted to be a, an 88 Mike truck driver guy. 
you know, so me hanging out with a bunch of field artillery guys was like, man, like, I guess it's time to go watch you guys <laughs> shoot your guns and, you know, yeah, yeah. prep to see what's, what's going to happen. So, uh, no one really knew it was, we were just on reactive mode, you know, we we're kind mm -hmm. of like waiting for orders to come down and see which units were going somewhere, where, wherever, uh, you know, that was, yeah. So yeah. we were just had gear prepped and just on standby. So. Yeah. So like the old, old classic, you know, therapist question would be, how did that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, I think it was just like everyone in the States, you know, we were like angry, yeah, you know, we were, yeah. we were like, man, I can't believe this happened, yeah. you know? So we were ready to do our duty. Um, so we are soldiers, you know? So our mindset's like, Hey, we've, we've done all this training. Now, now it's time to see what we can do. Yeah, time we, to go if, to work. if we get that call, it's time to do what we're, we're trained to do. So everyone is just motivated, you mm. know, of course, uncertain because. Yeah. I, I think that's an important thing to note is, you know, you, you enlisting in peacetime and enlisting, knowing there's a war is completely separate things, right? So most people go in for the training and then they get thrown that curveball, and most people have to step up and react to that. And I think uh, that, man, that would throw me off. I knew what I was signing up for. You knew what you were signing up yeah. for. So I, I could just imagine kind of the fear that you must have felt from that as well. Did that cross your mind or were you just like angry and just ready to go out and crush it? Yeah, I think, mm -hmm. I think a little both, to be honest with you. You know, like I said, that uncertainty, no one knew what yeah. war was. I mean, I think we had a couple of Vietnam veterans still hanging around. Yeah, a couple of Desert know, Storm like, guys. Yeah, Desert Storm guys for <laughs> sure. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> It's time to retire. And, and so those, that was the experience of combat that we had kind of still floating around the army, at least, you know, where I was stationed in first armor division. So we still had some guys over there. Yeah. Um, but they were like, this is going to be different yeah. than, than what they experienced. And so there, it was they good. Right? They had some, some, you know, some things to mentor us about and kind of prep us. But other yeah. than that, it was the new, New unknown, so. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you deploy as a truck driver, as an 88 Mike? I did. I did the first Iraq. Okay. So was that like the initial push or? Right. In 2003. 2003. And then after that, um, I knew. I was like, this is not for me. Mm. Yeah. You know? Like, and actually, to... when I was in Kosovo, I worked with some special forces guys. And I was like an E2, maybe okay. like an E1. And I was like, who are these guys? Yeah. Long and, hair. Yeah, long to go out in the middle of the night. <laughs> they just come back the next day, you know? And I was like, what are these guys? And they're like, he's special forces guys. And I was like, I don't even know what this is. Why not? Yeah, that sounds it, cool. It, I never knew any, I mean, this is like in the late 90s, you know, 2000. So yeah, those kind of topics, you know, where it's not as popular as it is yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. So I was like, man, this seems pretty cool. And then once Iraq hit, I was like, I'm going to go try. You awesome. know, so I, Especially my experience in Iraq, you know, I was like, yeah. guys, did, you know, one magazine, two guys, you know, oh, yeah. uh, no one knew what to do. Guys couldn't load radios and stuff. And I was like, man, this is kind of rough. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah. knew, I was like, the war is, is going to continue, you know, so if I'm going to make this a career, then I want to be a part of the best. Yeah, be so, in the position that you want to be in, right? Of course. Not struggle fuck your way through with Absolutely. a single magazine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like, if your man goes down with your, pick up his rifle. Yeah. <laughs> this is this yeah. World War II. Yeah. That's what it was like. I remember riding with a guy and they're like, here's a magazine for you guys. Like, and I was like, for I was, you guys, I was the for passengers. Us. You know what? I, this, this is a clear example of just bad leadership. At one point, I'd be like, hey, listen, I'm going to budget for two magazines and 15 <laughs> bullets each. <laughs> let's, like, let's give you at least... You know, let's split this up a little bit. No, it's just one magazine. Here you go. And the thing was, like, the infantry needs it. Yeah. The infantry needs it. You know, so we're like, hey, we just got to push. You know, drop off food, water, ammo, Damn. turn around, reload, and, and that was kind of it. Now, this was, like, before the time Amazon was, like, really. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, we, we were the Amazon, you know, of Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> In your, like, soft-shell trucks, probably. Not even up-armored, I imagine. Whatever you could drive. Oh, my God. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, that, that's rough. So, so it's, it's only natural that you were just, you recognized that that was not the safest place, nor the most impactful place that you could be in. Absolutely. So, so with it, getting back from your deployment, so you deployed, I'm assuming for what, 12, 15 months? That one was, I think it was only like six months. Okay. It was real quick. So then it was like, drop the packet, go SF. Yep. As soon as I got back, it's like, that's it. So, and that's kind of took off from there. So, so you go to the Q course, what, 2004? Yep. 2000, early 2004. Okay. Um, I went and tried, you know, I was like, break us, break down the Q course for us. We haven't talked about that yet. 
So the Q course, uh, Special Forces Qualification course, you know, is one of those, is, to me, it's pretty intimidating just going out to Camp McCall because mm-hmm. I'd been out there before running parachutes and stuff out there from, you know, because I was stationed at Fort Bragg. Okay. So I'd see these guys getting thrashed out there all the time. And I was like, man, so I knew kind of what I was going into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially coming from a soft-skilled MOS, like a non-combat related MOS. Uh, it's like, man, just, just do your best. You be in the yeah. best shape as possible and do your best. Yeah. And, you know, you start talking to guys in the huts, you know, like at Ranger Regiment guys, you get infantry guys and all these high-speed guys. And I'm like, man, these guys are here to do the, you know, the the business. And it was just a matter of just, all I could do was try to keep up. Mm-hmm. That's all I could do. Just do your best every day. And then you'd see guys just every night just disappear. Mm-hmm. And you'd see, we called the shack of shame across from us where guys would quit. <laughs> and they'd go and you'd see him like, man, that guy was, that guy was tearing it up. And yeah. now he's in the shack of shame eating... Eating hot dinner. It doesn't whatever he wants. You know what I mean? And we're out here. Being a candy bar, that bastard. (laughs) Yeah. Candy bar back there. (laughs) But I knew, in my mind, I said, you know, if I don't make it through the Q course or or SF, like, I'm just going to get out and kind of go back home and kind of just do whatever, you know, I do post-military careers or service. So I was pretty motivated to go and, you know, I made it. And it was a long, you know, almost two-year process. Mm. But uh, I look back at it and it was, horrible but it was also a lot of fun yeah yeah that's how it it typically is right when you're going through the suck it's never fun and then you just remember the good times in the future two years of getting your dick kicked in but you're doing it with your friends so yeah i think at one point i was like i'd do ranger school again and then i could just imagine getting there and being like what the fuck is wrong with me This sucks. It does <laughs> suck. So, I mean, I mean that, that's great. So, you, you went straight through. I went through. I was uh, 18 Charlie, SF engineer guy. So, yeah. the demo man on a team. Delicious. So, yeah. that's what yeah. I wanted to do and uh, enjoyed it every, every minute of it. So, you went from an 88 mic, right? So, someone who's constantly terrified of IEDs, right? To someone who's just going to blow shit up now. <laughs> I mean, first of all. Yeah, and- in early in Iraq war, IDs weren't really a thing. Yeah. We mm-hmm. saw them when we were kind of leaving, okay. you know, so like okay. we, we kind of, kind of got through with no problems, mm-hmm. you know, but unfortunately I think the insurgency kind of took a change yeah. big time. And then that's when yeah. IDs, but that time I was already in a queue, um, but you'd hear about it all the time. And then, you know, my job is in, in 18 Charlie, you know, they're like, Hey Dano, there's an IED up here. You know, I'd be like, damn it. Yeah. God, you know what I mean? It. So I'd go up there and <laughs> I mean, at least you're not the truck driver anymore, <laughs> let's be honest. Yeah, and I felt bad for some of my buddies still because they were still running yeah. in, in trucking, you know, and they were yeah. just getting hit. You know, I was like, man, that's probably one of the most dangerous jobs of the war. Yeah, and they, they don't have any of the same information or training that you have. I mean, as an 18 Charlie, you probably have an abundance of information on IEDs and, I mean. Yeah, that's what we were trained to do is recognize. Explosives and everything. Explosives, yeah. homemade explosives. Uh, but like you said, it was. Ordnance, all that stuff, you know, so. But like you said, it was so kind of still in its infancy, these guys developing. So I, I wonder what the training was for that. So like what's, as, as these IEDs are starting to pop up and people are starting to get hit, how does that incorporate into your training? Like did they, did they change up that whole program for that? Did they start diving into the type of explosive that they're using? Yeah, they, there was a lot of lessons learned that were yeah. we brought back and kind of getting shot down to the schoolhouse mm. because they knew like, hey, there's a good chance that these guys are going to be the ones doing this, you know, in a, in a year or six months from now. Yeah. So they did their best of kind of incorporating the, the newest battlefield trends into, into the training. So because, but it changed so much. Even when I got to Afghanistan and, and kept, kept going, things were changing on a battlefield so fast. Yeah, by you know, the time it's making it keep to up. training, it's, it's already a year outdated, right? Yeah. Those are tactics from a year, two years ago at that point. I mean, just, just, I mean, they had to, to evolve yeah. because they knew we were figuring things out. So, and they're insurgents. So they're like, take what we got, figure out something new. Crafty motherfuckers. Yeah. It's, <laughs> there were some pretty crafty things they out there. Are crafty. Oh, yeah. They yes. are crafty. And I didn't feel comfortable. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone went, felt comfortable. Like, how like, did you come up with this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm just going to blow it in place. Because you try to exploit it to kind of get that intel and kind of see what they're doing and send it back. And so yeah. they can distri- you know, distribute that information across the country. Uh, but gathering intel but on an explosive. Stuff, how many opportunities, <laughs> I think the entire audience is wondering, how many opportunities you've got to cut the red wire? 
It's like red, blue. Yeah. <sighs> just sweating. sweating. The whole world is like <laughs> and guys at like, stake here. Hurry up. Yeah, hurry Dan, up. Dan cut the I had fire. quite a few. I remember one, I think on one mission, I, I did 18. So, I mean, they were Damn. just like piling it on for us. They got old, you know, and I had a, uh, you know, a, a junior engineer on the team also. So, okay. you know, that guy would, you know, race up ahead of me, you know, and, and take care of things and stuff this like that. Is, this so. is not the Hurt Locker, buddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Slow down. But after a while, you, just, you see kind of where, kind of how they're operating. Sure. And what they're up to. And so it becomes kind of routine. Yeah. But still it's. I'd never wanted to feel like it was routine because yeah. that's when people make mistakes. Complacency sets in. Absolutely. That's when mistakes are made. Yeah. So there's only so many variabilities they can have with those explosives too. I mean, they they can't be super complex. They're well, some of them, them. It depends on the region. Right. You know, where you see that outside influence from neighboring countries, mm. and you'd be like, okay, this is different. Yeah, and they they. Sense. I mean, they did like maybe not in the earlier stages, but at the later end, they got very complex. Mm. Yeah, they have some you know, sophisticated devices out there floating around, and those are the yeah, ones we tri- like, uh, trips on them. And I mean, the guys yeah. got smart pressure got plates smart. and cell phone activated. Oh my goodness! So, yeah. so in two thousand three, you're you come back, you go to the Q course, you do all your training. How soon after that are you deployed again? Uh, right away. I, I think my first trip in SF was we were just doing our J set, our Joint Combined Exchange Training. So, got my feet wet doing that down in Latin America. Nice. Um, and then come back and in 2000. That was, I think my first one was 06, early 06. Okay, okay. Um, and then from there, it just didn't stop. Yeah. You know, it was like train up schools, J sets or whatever mission we were doing. And we go Afghanistan and things like that. So it, it just didn't end. It was just constantly <laughs> just going. Constant so, evolution. Yeah. And you were with seventh group the whole time. That's correct. Okay. How did, uh, how did you feel mentally at that point where you're just getting just hit up all the time for these deployments? Because that's how it is in the special operations community. It's exciting. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. You know, I, I still miss it sometimes. Sicko. <laughs> 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 I feel like uh, people ask me that, that question all the time, too. It's like, how, how do you feel about being over there? Well, that's what I joined for. Like, I joined <laughs> to go over there and do my job. So, like, it doesn't make you crazy to in, in our be excited for NSF that. is so... Like the umbrella of kind of the subtasks we do yeah. is so wide, you know, and that's what makes it exciting All because we are doing like your, your or... traditional direct action kind of recon missions and stuff like that. Yeah. And we we're doing some really, you know, interesting low vis type stuff, you know, where it, it gave us a lot of different ways to solve problems, mm-hmm. you know, be based off of the mission. So it wasn't like always a standard, like, oh, let's go out and patrol, patrol, patrol. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which kept things interesting. So can you walk us through your first mission, your very first mission, stepping off that bird as an SF operator? I can't, well, kind of. <laughs> I, I don't need the, like the... It, it, we, uh, OPSEC was, details uh, or anything, but like... Yeah. It was low-vis heavy, kind of yeah. clandestine type stuff. Okay. Yeah. So I can't, I mean... You know, let me rephrase. <laughs> let me rephrase a little bit. How did you feel stepping off that plane as an SF operator for the first time, Cherry Bitch? <laughs> <laughs> I was exciting, you know, yeah. like, mm. especially from years, years prior. I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And then here I am um, yeah. to be a part of, you know, the... The SF unit. So Did you feel confident? Was, absolutely. Just confident. Still being a new guy on a team, still trying to make myself kind of be a part of the team, you sure. know, because you're getting you're getting beat up pretty hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carry your own weight, right? Absolutely. So you're, you're trying to prove yourself at this a point. A lot of pressure to kind of produce, right? Yeah. And, and be a part of that team, like a meaningful member of the team, mm, you yeah. know, without getting thrown off and going to the B team, you know, like the support team or yeah. the headquarters element. So... A lot of pressure, I think, on, on that, but also a lot of excitement. So, mm. yeah, it was pretty awesome. I mean, like I said, our, my first time in Afghanistan with a SF team was doing some pretty unique stuff. So it was like your non-traditional uh, combat operations type stuff. So, okay. uh, which made it a little more, more high, high pressure for me, you know, yeah. trying to get in and, and do the right things with these guys who were pretty, pretty senior and experienced. So, yeah. But obviously you got into a flow and... Yeah, proved I just, yourself on the team. I think it was good leadership and mentorship. That's I credit, I guess my air quotes success on in SF was was due to, to leadership. Um, 
And then, of course, peers mentoring you and taking care of you and kind of getting you squared away, too. So, yeah. But I had a really good team, my first A-team. And I only was on two A-teams in my whole career. So, um, if right from the get-go, just good guys looking out for me. So It's important. And you find that more so, I feel like, in soft, in the soft teams, you find that support aspect being, the camaraderie is a lot higher, right? In traditional units where I spent a majority of my time, traditional or SAR units, it's kind of kind of spread out. At the end of the day, not everyone's going out drinking together or hanging out together. You don't spend time together on weekends so much. A few guys do here and there, but it's not nearly as close knit of a bond as is what it seems like in a lot of the, especially high tier soft units. Those guys seem to be very supportive of each other and very constructive. Like more traditional units are kind of spread out and just more like a nine to five job. It seems like. I think so too, and, and it's it's unique because we're only like nine guys deep. Yeah, you know, in doctrine units. we're like twelve. Yeah. You know, but like we'd only typically run like eight, maybe 10 guys. Mm. So it makes it, I think that adds a lot of pressure too, because you're depending on each other so greatly yeah. because you don't have a platoon of 30 guys or, yeah. or, you know, a full company of guys. So eight guys or nine guys out doing whatever you guys do out in the wild west. So Sounds that, like that makes you perform and, you know, really pull your weight and then some. So, yeah, absolutely. So you were telling us a story before we hopped on and started recording about uh, a crazy mission you had in Afghanistan where you took a round to the hand. Yeah, it was October of 2008. We were uh, heading back down to Kandahar. We were, we were out of uh, Southern Kandahar and we were up in Aruzgan. And uh, we knew we were getting getting into it. Yeah. Uh, we'd been getting into it, gunfights the whole, the whole time. Were you guys just out on patrol? We or? went to do a resupply, winter resupply for okay. one of the fire bases up there okay. and uh, brought them all their stuff that they needed. And we, it was time to head back down to, to Southern Kandahar. And of course we knew, we're like, you know, we're, we can either go this way, we can go right or we can go left. Yeah. You know, so faked left, went right, you know, and they had guys stacked on both sides. So going into a meat grinder, and uh, I was on the back of a GMV, like an old school Humvee on the 240. Uh, and I'm kind of looking over some walls and things like that, kind of waiting to see. And it was dead quiet. And then uh, one of the loudest things I've ever heard was, boom, right in front of me. And it, I thought the truck in front of us hit an ID, but it was an RPG. went right over the hood of my truck whew. and hit the wall. And then from there, it's just like, just complete madness. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, we ended up calling in Danger Close A-10 support. And uh, the, the, the combat controller guy, he always rode right next to me. And uh, I could hear him working up, you know, the call for, for you know, close air support. Yeah, working cast. And uh, he's working cast and we're just getting into it. And then he's like, hey, A-10 inbound from the West. And I remember just looking over. And it's one of the coolest, but one of the scariest things I've ever yes. seen was that A-10 come. Magnificently terrifying. So he's facing you, basically. Uh, yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know... I could see the guns and then you hear it, you know? So, you know, I'm like, Hey, get down everyone in our truck. And I remember just laying on top of this guy. Cause at the time I was like, I got my buddy, Jared, my other Charlie engineer guy. He can do my job better than I can. You know, um, I was like, we have one combat controller guy. So he's game changer on the battlefield. Mm. So I just kind of like laid on, on top of him. And I remember I couldn't look away. I was looking, you know, as he was passing us. Yeah. I could see rounds hitting everywhere. And I was like, man, this is intense. And then like, yeah. Get up. <laughs> yeah. and he's like, Hey, like he's on the radio and he's like, Hey, we got another one inbound. And so he turned and his buddy comes down, does the same gun run. Yeah. You know, of course, like I lay down on this guy and I'm like looking as he's flying away and just see rounds and yeah, you know, rounds hit. And, and, and just, you just know, like you have to be confident in the fact that like that might be magnificently terrifying to you and like how close that is. But those guys, those A-10 pilots are some of the the best in the world. Yeah. And they know exactly where each round is going. So, like, it, like that's got to be terrifying. But at the same time, they're probably, like, at the hooch at the end of the battle. Like, man, I was, like, 20 feet from those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, but they, they're so good at it. that that's, That is their job to be danger close, you know? And uh, I'm sure in hindsight, you get to, did you get to chat with anyone? Never, never found them. Oh, yeah. Ne- I wish I could because I owe those guys a couple cases of beer. <laughs> and you can hear them working on the, on the, the close, air, close yeah. air support. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, I need this, I need this. And like, and he'd be like, hey, danger hot or danger close. Yeah. You know, and that's all he needed. And he did the yeah, rest. Oh, yeah. And then. And can you imagine being on the other end of that A-10? 
Like, I, you know, seeing those things in kind of like, I'm on their side and I'm still shitting my pants seeing them operate. Like, <laughs> you know, same thing, you know? Yeah. And I got hurt right then and there. Um, and we pushed through, you know, the kill zone after things kind of got cleaned up and I got medevaced. Uh, pararescue team came and got me. And then I went down to Tarrant out. Okay. So wait, wait, that. can we back up a little bit? So you're, you're on top of the, your uh, combat controller, right? Yep. And how'd you get hit? When, when did you get hit? It was during that exchange. I mean, there's still stuff happening. I don't know how. You I didn't mean, feel it? it? Like it was yeah, just... I felt it. Like mm. I felt this hot burst go through my hand. Um, you know, I looked down and my, my knuckle had been blown out. Round went straight through my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, little bits of shrapnel I could see, but immediately just closed my hand. You know, it's kind of like yeah, a like claw. Crumbled You know, it, like the strong hand. Like the strong hand. Take the strong, <laughs> take the strong hand. <laughs> you know, so like it did that. My germs. Yeah. It, I mean, I couldn't hold a rifle. Yeah, I, effectively, you know, my machine gun was kind of useless because I couldn't swing it around. Sure. Um, and I just pulled out my pistol and was like, I'm ready to go to work. So <laughs> that's all you could do because there was no time to really think about anything else because things, I mean, guys were so close to us. Yeah. Like it was intense. Yeah. So like, you don't have, me, I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's just Didn't training. even have time it's to perform yeah. first aid. It's just. No, nah, I looked at it. I was like, I'm good. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I was like, we still got to make it out of yeah, here. I'm so. good. Yeah, I'm good. I'll be all right. I see you. I see you. I see you. Yeah, and then, and then after that, these guys are going to all think we're we're mentally ill. Yeah. I think uh, at the end of the day, we are. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> certified, certified loony bins over here. So you have a hole in your hand, <laughs> and you're helping everybody out. And then, then how how do you guys clear the objective? How do you guys get home safe? Well, we rolled off the the objective, you know, and they're like, "Hey, we got a bird inbound for you." So that's kind of where I, I fell out okay. of the story. So, but those guys still had to drive all the way down to Kandahar. Yeah. Um, and I think it was pretty calm after that, going into kind of uh, the east and then making our way back down to the south. So uh, I remember just getting out of, off of a bird in, in TK and my boss is there, the, the, the AOB commander. He's mm. with the phone. He's like, you need to call your wife. You know, and so I'm like, hello? <laughs> you know, and hey, I got hurt. And that's all I said. I was like, hey, I got, wor- I got hurt at work today. You know, like, just want to let you know like I'm going in surgery and of course it's like two o'clock in the morning or yeah. whatever it is. She's like, what happened? I'm like, Freaking no, I just out. had an accident. You know, I'm, I'm okay. An accident. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to say. You know, yeah, I was yeah, like, I, know. I didn't want to like scare her or, you know, uh, anything like that. So I was like, Hey, I just had an accident, you know, just on, on, you know, workplace injury type thing. <laughs> yeah. <You> know, so. <laughs> I'll fire, file my workers comp here in a minute. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then she found out, I think my boss told her, um, and then I begged my boss, you know, it's like, hey, can I stay in country? Because we were so shorthanded. <laughs> and he's like, well, I don't know. And then I, I remember calling my wife saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm going to ride this thing out. So, and I did. And she was not happy about that. I was going to say, how'd she feel about that? Yeah, not happy. But yeah. I, she understood. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I felt, I would have felt horrible leaving the guys. Sure. You yeah. Know? So I just kicked around the fire base and kind of did radio stuff or help mission prep. That's all I could do. So the the remainder of the deployment. I did. That's all I did. So how long did it take you to recover from that injury? Uh, It was fairly quick. Like I said, uh, all things considered, it was easy. I mean, my medic on my team, the 18 Delta guy, he was like, you should go home because your hand, your hand is very complex. You know, there's a lot going on in there. And I was like, I'm still good. Honestly, you should have gone home with a hand <laughs> injury. Like, coming from medical backgrounds too, like, hey, go hands, home. Yeah. Your hands yeah, are... And he was right, but I was yeah. so dead set on staying with the team. Yeah. You yeah. Know, so... Get it's understandable. Okay. Yeah, it's completely understandable. But I wrote it out and it, it was fine, you know, I guess. You know, my hand didn't fall <laughs> off, so... It still works, right? I it mean, still works. Looks like you it know, works. Still play guitar and do whatever I need to do. So oh, if you could play guitar, you're good then. That was I kind feel of like a rehab I was doing. In yeah. Country. I'll sit there oh, yeah. and just kind of play with the fretboard a little bit, you know, and kind of do things and work out. Probably helped so. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Did you uh, take your guitar overseas? I did. Yeah. I bought one for that trip, you know. Oh, that's awesome. I gave it to one of our Terps. Oh, really? Yeah. He was like, I want to be Eric Clapton. Like, Here you go, man. <laughs> Here you go, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah. I was, but uh, it was it was a good trip. It was a rough trip, you know. Guys got beat up. Got, you know, we lost a few guys, but um, you know, it was like I said. It, over and overall, I mean, we were there doing what we were supposed to be doing, and yeah. it was right in the thick of it. So doing God's work. 
God's work. So you so you get home, and I, I kind of want to just touch on on how your interaction with your wife went, like when you actually had a chance to sit down and talk to her about what really happened, and hey, I'm going to be deploying again. This is not going to stop. I, I think it was like normal stuff. You know, my wife, you know, she's a West Point grad. You know, okay. so I met her in Aussie four, and she was like an officer. Oh, you know, so nice. I strike that for, edit that in post. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that way you so get good for you. And she's this been, was a good plan. That's all I see what you're exactly. going for. This is a good plan. <laughs> yeah, so she'd been to Iraq twice. So she okay. she'd kind of known, you know, what kind of what to what to what to expect yeah. and kind of what war kind of happens in war. So, you know, I was like, hey, I'm okay. So that um had to help immensely. It it helped and it hurt a little bit too because mm-hmm. she knew, you know, yeah. she'd been over there twice. Yeah. Um, you know, so especially knowing kind of what SF is, you know, she was like, yeah, just, just don't die. Yeah. So, Ignorance is bliss sometimes. I'll do, right? I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah. It's like Team America is like, I'll never die. You know, so, I promise. I promise. I will never die. I promise. <laughs> you know, so like that was kind of it. And I, I think there's a little bit of security of not knowing kind of like talking about it yeah. because she don't, she don't want to know, you know what I mean? So, but pack my bags is, off to the next one, so. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you kick out quite a bit as an SF operator, I'm sure. So how, how soon after we talking? I, th- I think it was almost immediately. Went kind mm-hmm. of did Latin America, did some stuff down there, come back, um, did another Afghanistan trip. I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. Yeah. If you weren't training or off to a school somewhere, you, you're either in, for us, our primary area of operations, Latin America and the Caribbean, or picking up, you know, slack rotations in Afghanistan or Iraq. So yeah. that was that was the lifestyle. And 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 guys in the Q course, the instructors like, if you're not ready to deploy, you're not ready for this job. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys were like, oh, I spent like six months here or whatever. And you're like, no, you don't understand. You know, and guys found out real quick that yeah. it is you're gone all the time, that, right? That's exactly. also an important thing to, thing to note that I, I think that most people, even those that are in the military don't realize is the deployments for special operations is completely different than deployments on other spectrums. Like you are mission oriented as an operator and you're going out and working extra hard every single night with an objective and plan. And that burns people out. Absolutely. So how did you prevent that from happening to yourself? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just happened. You just go. And I think the demand is so high yeah. and you don't want to, and, and the risk is very high. So we don't want to let the boss down. You know what I mean? So Or your buddies down, right? Or your buddies. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the boss comes down like, hey, here's what needs to happen. So you guys sit around and we plan and we go do it. And nothing changes. They're like, hey, good work. Here's the next one. You know, and that's what we kind of signed up for. I think all yeah. of us going into special forces or like ranger, Navy SEAL type stuff, it's like the demand of our performance and our expectations is very high. Yeah. And if and continual. And, yeah, absolutely. So we kind of knew that going into this when we volunteered to to be a part of this. Yeah. So I, I think that's a that's an interesting note that you hit on too. And and kind of as a translate translation of that is like when I go out, the biggest thing I worry about is looking like an idiot to my left and right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you want to be able to prove yourself to yourself and your team and be able to accomplish that mission in a successful manner. I mean. Yeah. And, and those moments happen. Like yeah, on my oh, last yeah. trip, one of our guys, he's a split team. So I said, me as the commander and a couple other guys. Uh, one guy, he's my, he's my engineer, jumped out of his truck. You know, it's like one of our first missions, IED. That's where we didn't go to. Magazine falls out of his, his rifle. And we're like, it's a classic. So we called him, we call him single shot. We're yeah. like, oh, this guy's going to win the war with one round. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I need. You know, I so like those, those things happen. Guys fall down, they trip, yeah. or, you know, moments like that. But we, we ride each other pretty hard, but it's all in good fun, you know, kind of out of love. So that is funny. Yeah. Single yeah, shot. Even yeah. the best guys, you know, the best trained guys, you it know, happens. Yeah. make bonehead mistakes, oh, you yeah. know. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, can, can you talk us? Talk us through your your last deployment. Last deployment was uh, in late 2012. I think got there in like October. Okay. Um, and the, our mission changed at the last moment. So we went from doing village stability operations, kind of just helping them get sorted out, kind of building stability in their regions. And okay. uh, 
we get the call and they're like, hey, Dano, you and five other guys, you need to go down south, of where, you know, and mm. kind of try to establish this program there. And I'm like, it's, we'll do what we can, but we're going to some rough country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we take command of this little tiny outpost, um, just, a, I think, one or two shacks. And so it was a, it was a struggle of building and patrolling because mm. I think pretty much when we took command, when I took command of the outpost, we were getting hit every day. Shit. Recoilless rifle incoming, you know, like mortars, you know, ambush type stuff like every single day. Mm. You know, so we were like trying to build a base of operations, kind of what we were supposed to be doing, but we we're still going out and, and meeting the enemy. So yeah, it was it was a rough ride. Um, you know, had had some really good guys with me. So all we could do was was just go out and just do what we we're supposed to do and uh, kind of create white space a little bit, give some room to kind of breathe a little bit. But sure, um, so you guys can expand the base. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it, 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 like I said, it was, I only lasted probably till, well, November, uh, November 27th is when I got hit by an IED. Uh, we were coming back from a raid and my truck hit an IED on the way back, ripped it in half. Like, I don't know how we didn't die. Um, You know, so we were waiting for recovery. Yeah. And then coming back, you know, so we're, kind of setting up security, talking to some of the locals. And then, you know, I was walking back to my truck and I looked straight down and I was like, man, something's not right. You know? And I was like, kind of looked around, like, man, I'm looking for your telltale signs of a IED initiated ambush. We were seeing all the time. Yeah. I'm kind of looking around. I'm like, I don't see nothing, no disturbance on the ground. And I was like, well, let me just go back. And I was going to call my boss with a sit rep. Yeah. And uh, soon as my left foot, Picked up and then I stepped down and it was like pop. And I knew right then I was like, man, you stepped on the ID. You know, so I knew right what had happened. Um, and then from there is like the sequence of events of kind of like things happening. You know, so I'm like, I I couldn't see. Uh, I mean, I was just a hot mess. Yeah. So were you dislocated from your other troops? As yeah, well? we, yeah, we like my my buddy George, who's our, our 18 Delta. Uh, I just told him, it's like, hey, George, go over there. And, and we had guys pulling security and kind of talking to some people. So so we had kind of a little perimeter kind of established. Okay. So, you know, so I just told George, I was like, George, go over there and kind of, um, you know, I need this to kind of happen. And so he took off, but luckily he was pretty close because he was there real quick. So in my mind, I was like, hit an ID, find your gun. That was the first thing in my mind because even though I couldn't see and I was kind of useless, yeah. you know, I was like, just that, like being able to have that security. It referred you know? to your training, right? Yeah. And I couldn't find my gun. I'm like, find tourniquet. You know, and I had a tourniquet here and, you know, a couple of tourniquets. Hands were burnt, lost, you know, part, parts of my fingers. Yeah. Um, so I was fumbling around. And then the next thing I was like, just stay awake. Um, that's all I could do is just tell myself. So I was like, calm for George. You know, and George shows up. I get and, the medic uh, over there. And the first thing I said is like, hey, George, uh, I got my junk. <laughs> the common the question first thing I, I could think of and he's like you're good man you're good you know and I, I just remember like laying back and I was like okay like George is here he's an extremely talented SF medic you know so I was, I was really comfortable and then Carlos he was uh, my team starting came over and they start working on me you know and I'm telling them like hey make sure you guys pull security whatever and they're like yeah man like we, we got under control but I could tell in their voice like kind of some, some bad shape and like I said I couldn't see my eyes had got ripped open um, Damn. so I had no idea what was going did, on. No iPro on? I did not. Mm. Uh. And it was like, er, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember getting asked that too by my yeah, boss. Yeah. He was like, hey, was he, were you wearing eye protection? I was like, no. Nope. Yep. So similar situation with mine. And and I, I remember specifically being on target where I was just like, my eye pro just was getting foggy. Like, and I was like, I can't do this. But I was like, and tonight I'm going to keep it on. Cause we had been briefed that this place was just rigged to explode. So like, when I got hit, I, I had been looking down. It was at night, stepped through the doorway, and same thing. And I got blasted up. And when I was in the hospital, I looked in the mirror. I had shrapnel all around my eye pro. So I was like, I would have been in the same situation if... <laughs> well, I had a pretty gnarly beard. So I think the blast was like... Def- oh, <laughs> yes. That's what I tell myself. Beards, yes. There's enough hair gel in that to make a damn near bulletproof. <laughs> so... Yeah, That's and I funny. remember, you know, just kind of running through it. But uh, yeah, I didn't have iPro, but I remember being asked that when I was at the the Kandahar 
you know, the hospital. You should have, did you say yes? No, I was hammered. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 I was like, no. Nope. <laughs> Balls deep in ketamine. Nope. They're like, we'll remember that in 12 months when you're doing your <laughs> med yeah. board. Yeah, you do your VA shit. Sorry, no rating. <laughs> yeah, and, and then from there, I mean, the guys had it locked down, you know, yeah. like the, the medevac process happened. My, I mean, I left, I lost just above my ankle, my left foot, yeah. on my left leg. Okay. Uh, from the blast. But my right leg was, just filleted open. Mm. And that was the problem. Um, I mean, there wasn't really much they could do except for trying to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And then I just remember getting bundled up. Medivac bird came real quick. Uh, and then getting, the last thing I remember was kind of lights out. And I just was like, just keep fighting, keep fighting, keep yeah. fighting. And I told one of my buddies, like, I was like, man, I'm trying to stay, I'm trying to stay awake, but I was like, I don't, I can't. And there's, and I, I told him, I, I still kind of feel bad about it. I was like, man, like, I want you to take me home. Because I was like, I, I, I don't think I'm going to survive. I'm trying real hard. And they're like, ah, shut up, dude. Like, yeah. You know, like, just get on the bird. And uh, and when I got on the bird, like, that's, that was it. You know, a near-death experience for about 10 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, like, just an incredible, incredibly powerful experience I had. Um, you know, I mean, it's hard to explain because of what happened. You know, and I didn't really read about near-death experience type stuff for for a while because I was like, this was kind of my experience. You know, yeah. I didn't want to reach out to people or read other stuff. But I started reading it and I was like, man, these are very similar to the things I experienced. Mm -hmm. um, and then I remember kind of coming back from that and the flight medic guy was like, hey, he's back. He's like, he's, he's, he's back, he's back. And he asked me, he's like, do you know where you are? And the first thing I could think of was Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses, where there's like the breakdown. He's like, do you know who you are? You're in the jungle, baby. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're going to die. You know? <laughs> that, that was the first thing I thought of. That's the first thing oh, in my head. Shit, you know, so, so I'm funny. like, you're in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. You know, and the guy's like, all right. You know, like, and then there, there's the casualty exchange, you know, over at the roll three in Kandahar. Yeah. But I was like, but in my mind, I was like, man, like, this is pretty serious. I probably shouldn't have said that, you know? No, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah, humor. That guy will remember that forever, probably. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm in Kandahar. You know, like when I came, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I'm in Kandahar. So he's like, all right, man. Like, and then it was just a long ride to get, get back to, to stateside from there. So. Yeah. Do you remember if it was Air Force or Army that picked you up? It was Air Force. So, yeah, Air Force out of Kandahar in November of 12. They were filming that Inside Combat Rescue TV show. Were you, were you on that? I don't think so. That's, that's um, the team that was there in, in Kandahar at the time. Because I took over from them okay. in 2013. I tried to find for the longest time like who, who that crew was. And that's yeah, what I, I was told. Was I know everybody, was Air Force I know everybody on that team. We might be able to find them for you. Yeah, that'd be yeah, amazing. I, I took over from that team in January of 2013. So if you're interested in, in reconnecting yeah, or meeting awesome. them, that's kind of what we do here at the show. So, Yeah, because I always thought about that too. I was like, man, I want... I mean, there was a lot of people along the way to get me back home. Yeah. It's like, you know, I got, I, they start writing in a journal for me. Yeah. You know, like, hey, like, you don't remember me, but this is who I am. Here's my email. You know, but I never got that information from that crew. Okay. But that would be fantastic because... I mean, those guys were... It's kind of the least important priority <laughs> at the time. <laughs> at the time, time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you, you had to be... Um, so at Kandahar, I'm sure you did uh, multiple surgeries and clean out to get you stable to move to Langstuhl to or... Yeah, I went to Bagram. Okay. Uh, Kandahar to Bagram. Okay. Um, and just by chance, my the other half of my team was at Kandahar Airfield. So they saw me. So they're like, oh man, like they, they, which was really cool for them to be there. Yeah. Um, you know, pin the purple heart on me and stuff like that. And then made my way up to Bagram, stayed there for a little while. I think bad weather kind of slowed things down mm -hmm. and then got to, to Germany to launch tool. Yeah. And then, uh, and they're like, here you're going to Walter Reed. And I was yeah. like, nope, I don't, I, all I could think about was the old days when guys were getting, you know, infections and just mm -hmm. kind of, that's the only thing I could think of. And did, I still couldn't see. So did you choose Bamsey? So I was like, I'm going to, to, to Bamsey. Brook Army. <laughs> That's, I did the reason, same thing. The only reason I knew about Bamsey is because we were coming from a train up from like New Mexico to Louisiana. Okay. And my old captain was from San Antonio and uh, we drove and our halfway point was in San Antonio. And so we were driving by Bamsey. I wanted to go see Alamo. I was like, yeah. what is that place? Like an asylum or something? What's that giant yeah. hospital? He's like, no, that's the hospital. He's like one of the best in the country and all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So when I was laid up, I was like, 
I want to go back to San Antonio. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I did the same thing, but I probably sounded a little bit more pathetic. I'm not, I want to go to Texas, <laughs> not Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they're like, hey, you're probably going to die. And so I was like, no one cool, like, dies in, in the Beltway. You know, I was like, I want to go to Texas, you know, like, we're die like a man. Outlaws, you know? like, die like a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they're like, it was kind of a struggle, but they're like, all right, you can go there and, you know, hang out. And uh, that's how I got San Antonio. So. And w- when was this again? The year that you, like, right when you got to San Antonio? Uh, that, by this time, I got December of 2012. 2012. I got to BMC in December of 2012. Okay. And what was your experience like at the Center for the Intrepid? Amazing. Mm, Matter of yeah. fact, it's, I, all I could see, like people talked about was like, hey, you're going to go to the CFI and the Center for the Intrepid. And I was a horrible patient at Bamsey because I broke out twice. As soon as I got <laughs> in my wheelchair, like I'm like, hey, I'm going to go around the floor. And I could see which nurses like cared and which ones didn't. Yeah. And so I'd like kind of do my recon and I'd circle around and I'd like this lady like watching like cat videos or whatever. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna hit the door and I'd just go out. At 1753. I'd wheel myself to, to CFI, like hammer, dragon yeah. back bags. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then one of the therapists, a guy named Mark's like, he Mark, found me the first Mark time. Mark H. I love Mark. Yeah. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, he out. retired. He's, he's a good man. Just retired. Good dude. He, he found me in, in the lobby. Jesus. You know, and he like looked at my bracelet. He's like, what are you doing here? I was like, I told him, I was like, man, I, I need to go back to Afghanistan. I need to get strong. And everyone tells me this is the place to do it. He's mm. like, yeah, we'll get you there, man. But you need to go back to the hospital. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you got a couple weeks, dude. <laughs> so he gave me a tour. Okay. Um, but it was a long ride because I had an unknown infection from the IED. Like they didn't know what it was. Mm. And like every day or every other day, chop more of my leg off. You know, so I was in the hospital for a long time. And those revisions and because they're like we we can't we can't we don't know what what this is so like we just keep chopping to try to beat it uh, Man, from yeah. that inspect from, and you were below the knee yeah I was just right my foot was gone right and then now you're now I'm above the knee above yeah. the knee because of those infections yep. I mean that that's a substantial amount of revisions like it's like twenties uh, plus surgeries and most Damn. people are looking at two to three after a majority of their surgeries are hit. So like that is, that is quite a bit. And I remember when the doctor, Dr. Gajewski, Don Gajewski, uh, when Colonel G came up, he's like, hey man, we're at knee, which is okay. You know, like this isn't a bad thing. Uh, we'll go through the knee. I'm like, okay. And then I remember when he came in the next time, he's like, hey, we got to go above knee. And I was just like, the wind came out of the sails a little bit, you know, but yeah. I was like, I told him, I was like, sir, just keep me alive. I was like, I'll figure out the rest. Just keep me alive. And then after that, like it just stopped. You know, and then my right leg was the challenge after that, yeah. trying to keep that thing attached. Because one guy's like, oh, just cut it off. You'll never use it again. And I was like, <laughs> I'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather use it, though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, just give me a chance. Yeah. Yeah. So they were able to obviously yeah, salvage a that. massive skin graft. Okay. And it stuck. It, it took the first time. You know, like. That's it, awesome. And all I could tell mentally, I was like, man, just take. Just take. That's all I could sit yeah. there and just tell myself. Just. Well, you, you probably needed a win, too, after all the resectioning on your left leg. I think staying like, alive was a win. That's, you know yeah. what I mean? I was just like, and I told, like yeah. I said, I told, Kurt, you know, Don Gaski, the Colonel Gaski, I was like, just keep me alive. I'll figure out the rest. Like nothing else matters, you know, yeah. so. And and now you're walking on your own two feet, almost. Almost. <laughs> I can say that because I have one leg as well. <laughs> but I'm below the knee. So that's another thing. So at the CFI, I always, I always like to talk about the camaraderie that still continues within your recovery. You know, you have a certain sense of humor doing what you do. Right. And d- how was that received when you went to the CFI? Like, because that's, that's a lot. And this is the first time in your life that you're exposed to this field. You know, I remember one of the first times I was fitted for my prosthetic. Uh, you know, he, he handed me this like piece, like this sleeve. That's what it's, it's the sleeve, right? And I had no idea how to use this thing. And I just remember just like almost being so overwhelmed and just like feeling like I was just going to break down because he was getting irritated at me that I didn't know how to use this device. So did you have any experiences like that when you were in? I think for me, I mean, immediately I saw guys with double, triple amputees. Yeah. You know, so I was like, what I got is no problem. But I was so dead set on going back to Afghanistan. I didn't Mm -hmm. care. I was like, teach me to walk, give me the stuff I need to do and let's go from there. You know, so I had an old guy named Fred uh, he was hard on me, you know what I mean? But and I, I appreciated it, you know, coming from him being my therapist. 
he's like, you want to go back, chief? Let's go. And then I just listen. You know, it does what it's told. That was my mentality. You know, he'd be like, this is how this works. You know, and I'd be like, teach me how to do maintenance on this it thing. must so, put the lotion on its leg. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. I got that reference. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all I could do is just like, it does what it's told. It walks yeah. when it tells, it's told to walk, you know? So I, that's, it was a slow approach to it, but um, I wanted to do the best I could yeah. to go back to work. So, but yeah, you had some weird, because I'd never been around really any amputees. There's one guy, he lost his leg below knee, who went back to duty in SF, my group. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd see him, you know, but that guy was an animal. Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, I knew guys could go back to work and stuff like that, but dealing with foot drop and loss, you know, loss of use and all this stuff, like it was, it added a lot of extra time kind of during the rehab and, yeah. and figuring things out. Yeah. And going so. from baloney, like very practical. I went back for two years after I was hit below knee. I could never imagine doing it above the knee. Like that at that capacity, you know, you you just like you don't have the ability to be functionally moving at that point, right? I mean, at the capacity you're doing grape grapevine fields and all this stuff. It's like so once once you kind of go above the knee, it gets difficult. It is. There's a huge difference between the two, mm. like the two injuries, um, you know, and the amputation. So I went back and did a little work, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, and and the command was very supportive. They're like, Dan, you can do whatever you need to do. I'd come back to Texas to have more revisions and some HO stuff going on. Um, and then I, I came to the crossroads. I was like, you know what? I just can't commit to the unit, you know, and to the guys. Yeah. And they're like, you can be a staff guy. No problem. You know, and I, I, at that time I said. Not appealing. The worst thing I could imagine is seeing my buddies go forward and I'm staying behind. Yeah. You know, and like it, it was heavy. I was like, I don't think I could deal with that. Hard to watch, yeah. And I was like, it's probably best I just kind of hang it up and hang out for a little bit and enjoy my family because I'd been away for so long. Yeah. You know, so I remember going back to the unit and telling them that, like, hey, I think it's it's a wrap for me. And well, then now uh, you're doing that, ended right? up retiring, so. Well, first and foremost, you lazy piece of shit. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's absolutely incredible. Way to and give I think, up, Dan. Way yeah. to give up. Quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it speaks just... Volumes about your character to want to go back after dealing with that injury. Um, it's pretty amazing. So no one is going to <laughs> blame you for that. Yeah, it's one of the hardest things to this day. Like I, I think I'm pretty pretty blessed to, and, and lucky to like not have like you know the anxiety mm. and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, being on pills and drugs and stuff like yeah. that. Like for me, that choice was easy. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's perspective. Like I said, I, I saw a lot of guys die. Saw double, triple amputee guys. Yeah. You know, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm easy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it still weighs down on me. Is like that. I, I feel like I abandoned like my teammates and the guys in the unit. Sure. Yeah. I feel like I let them down. You know, so that's hard sometimes to talk about with those guys. Yeah. You know, the guys that yeah. I really, really admire and I respect. You know, I'm like, man, I, I you know, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I let you down. You know, like when, yeah. when I got hurt and then when I left. Being able know. to dissociate from the feeling and the truth, though, is is an important thing sometimes. And obviously you can you can look at somebody who's in your position. Like if your buddy had been in your position, gotten blown up, and he said that that's how I feel, you would tell him, what would you tell him? That's not true. Same thing they told me. Yeah, that's not true. You didn't let us down. Yeah. You got hurt. It's it's just what happened. And And you also have to realize that you're in a mentality and headspace as a special operations dude of never quitting. Like that is instilled into your soul (laughs) the entire time that you were doing your training, you're deployed and all this stuff. Being injured cuts into that. You know, it really makes you feel like you didn't complete your objective, makes you feel like you didn't reach your goal. And that makes you feel like you didn't get to where you needed to be. So naturally you are going to feel that way. But it's not true. You you have to be able to take, you know, step out of that, put yourself in a, someone else's shoes and ask yourself that same question. They would tell you the same exact thing. Hey, brother, you, you know, who knows? You could say in hindsight that you were there to protect that CC, you know, that uh, combat controller. You know, you could have saved his life that day. You don't know. You just see the negative aspects of things. So you're not a quitter in any sense. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just... It was a tough decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, yeah of course. It was the right decision, I think, for me. 
Um, and your family. You got to think of it that yeah, way too. I spent years away from them. Yeah. Like years away from my family. So this that's is your, when I was like, your you know second what? chance, you know? Exactly. I was like, this is not a lot of people I know got a second chance or people in, in the war. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? This is something meaningful and just take advantage of it. You still did the cool guy shit for a long time. I mean, 15 years. That's, I had a good run at it. Yeah. I had a good run. That's, that's, I mean, just a few years short of a full, full-fledged retirement. I mean, you weren't that, that far away from, from hanging it up anyways. So, I mean, you did the cool guy shit. Now you got an opportunity to spend the rest of your time with your family and, and pursue the things you want to outside the military. Right? Absolutely. Which, by the way, what are you doing nowadays? Raising bees. So, uh, yeah, I started, <laughs> I started a little honeybee business called Texas Bee Brigade. Yes. Which is still kind of developing. Oh, I love that. So, uh, you Did know, you just, bring me some honey? I do. I have a couple jars. <laughs> Got you some honey, honey. So I want the honey right now. Right here. <laughs> so I, I did that for a little while, and then um, I got a call from a guy, a guy I did rehab with. It's like, hey, my, my cousin's going to call you for the job offer. And I was like, okay. And it's sure enough, it's called Apiary Medical. Uh, like apiary, like a beehive kind yeah. of. And so my boss now, his name is Chris Hatzel. He comes out, he's like, Hey, will you come to Denver and listen to our pitch about kind of my company? So I was like, yeah, sure. Med supplies time, kind of med device and that kind of thing, surgical instruments. So I go to Denver, never in my life would think I would find myself working for a medical company. And, uh, I get there, I listen to him, and he's a, re- he's a wounded recon Marine guy. Okay. Uh, you know, like, there's all these guys are disabled veterans, uh, service-connected type stuff. And so I sit there, and I'm listening to it, and I go back home to San Antonio. I'm like, man, I think about everyone that used their talents, whether that's ordering gloves and helping me, you know, get my leg cut off to the guy helping me out learning to walk. I was like, everyone used their talents to keep me alive yeah. and get me to where I am today. So I was like, I think this is where I should be. And so I, I signed on board as, you know, a contractor guy, just kind of work in the state of Texas, San Antonio, mm. serving the VAs, uh, the DOD and our regular hospitals. And that to me is meaningful because, you know, what better way to give back to veterans than helping them out on the medical front line. Exactly. Um, and so that's kind of what we were all about is, you know, we want to get veterans jobs. Mm. You know, we want to take care of our veterans and their families in the med space you know, supporting surgeries and things like that. So it's been pretty rewarding. Um, love it. And it's a great bunch of guys. We got other guys who are SF guys and wounded guys, mm. um, you know, who are just giving back because we all paid, we all had skin in the game. We all paid a price. Yeah. So we, we show our gratitude by trying to serve the folks that are taking care of us and the veteran community and our families and, and things like that. So still serving. So how, how, how affirmative was it? To bridge that gap between of feeling like almost like you said a failure of not being able to go back and serve to serving in a totally different capacity now, but still making a tremendous impact. I mean, I, I did a lot of volunteer work leading up to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked with wheelchair kids, sports camp type stuff, okay. you know, like, so there was a gap where I was just doing volunteer stuff, me and my family, serving other wounded families and yep. service members. And this, so this kind of made sense. I was like, this is kind of stepping up a little bit more where you can help like that surgeon, yeah. you know, yeah. do his job better. Save lives. You can help that therapist do their job better and yeah. get veterans off drugs, you know, like by offering something that's takes away that narcotic, yeah. you know, because I, when I was doing rehab, I saw a lot of guys mm-hmm. just, oh, yeah. just pounding pills and, and, making some bad choices, you know, creating addictions and you know, the opioids were just in- intense. Yeah. So problem. if I could do my part and us at Apiary Medical, like to get people away from that, other veterans away from that, then like, that's, that's a big part of what we do. So. And I want to recap this real quick, just, just a little bit. So you joined pre nine 11. Correct. You experienced nine 11 and decided to go from being a truck driver into SF and then spending 10 plus years but, you know, 12 plus years doing SF-based missions, got injured, and you still felt like you weren't doing enough at that point. And you've continued your service all the way through. So you, I mean, the amount of resiliency that you have, that you've displayed just over this hour-long show has been, it's, I mean, it's an incredible amount of resiliency and it speaks volumes to your character, Dan. I, 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 hope, I hope that if you can't, we'll take a moment to appreciate all, all the stuff that you're doing for our friends and our family. Um, I think it's fucking awesome, man. 
No, I appreciate it. Like I said, we do what we can. You know what I mean? Um, to give back. I mean, yeah. I don't know what is enough, but you just keep going because it's the right thing. Because uh, that's you. who you are. Let's be honest. That's who you are. Is to always it's a regular guy. Never feel like you've accomplished the mission. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to most of us in our audience out there, I'd say, Dan, you've done an incredible amount of work for this country and you're continuing to do so. First and foremost, you know, as a fellow veteran and, you know, citizen in the United States, thank you so much for what you do and what you represent. You're an amazing human being. And uh, I'm glad that moving forward, we could uh, call each other friends. Well, thank you. And uh, Veterans Day is right around the corner. So happy Veterans Day, fellas. And, yeah. and thanks for all you guys have done and do as well. So yeah, appreciate it. Of course, man. Dan the man. Hey, give us uh, one little shout out on uh, where we could find you. Social media. I'm, I'm a LinkedIn guy. That's it. So Dan Daniel Carlton, Apiary Medical on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I live on the web. So Perfect. If you guys have any questions for us or Dan, please be sure to comment below. We'll get back to you pretty quick. We try to get... Uh, Get as many responses out as possible to our fans out there. So thank you so much. Yeah. If you guys have any recommendations on guests or things, topics that you want to uh, have us cover, feel free to let us know. Otherwise, thanks for listening to the Medivac podcast. And Dan, dude, thanks a lot for being here today. Love you, brother. Thank yeah. you. Love you guys too. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, guys. This has been the Medivac podcast. We'll see you later. Hey, goodbye, Matt. Nice. <laughs>